If you're traveling to the North Country Fair, where the winds hit heavy on the borderline, remember me to one who lives there. She once was a true love of mine. Hello and welcome to episode 115 of section 138. I'm your host, Mark Colley, as always, joined by Bryson and Jacob. How are you guys? I'm doing all right, Mark. Uh, interesting week for the Jays again, but uh, overall I'm doing okay. Certainly could have been better than taking one of three from the Royals, but also could be worse. They could have lost... Two of three or three of three to the Yankees. So, as always, best case, worst case scenario, the Blue Jays are right in the middle. How are you, Jacob? Well, I'll put it this way. My faith in the team is being tested, but I'm here for the long haul. And, I don't know, I think we've got a lot to analyze this week. I'll I'll say that. Certainly a lot going on with the Blue Jays. Um, The good thing is, some of the people we've talked about previously, some of the good performances, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Steven Matz, they're still keeping on, keeping on. They're doing the same amazing things that we complimented them for last week when we talked on the podcast. But the bad thing is some of the things around the edges that we were encouraged by, Randall Grishik, um, some of the other names we thought were heating up, Alejandro Kirk I know was on that list, Rowdy Telez on that list, although to some extent he is heating up. There is still a lot of disappointments with the Blue Jays and a lot of problems offensively. We saw that rear its ugly head today. They got shut out against the Kansas City Royals, lost 2-0, despite Robbie Ray's best effort to blow this wide open for the Royals. Um, Robbie Ray's another guy we should talk about. Overall, not a disappointing week, not an encouraging week. Um, What stood out to you the most watching the Blue Jays play this week? What are you most concerned about? What are you most happy about? I think what I'm most concerned about is that the injuries might be starting to catch up to the Blue Jays because... We've seen this already. Kirby Yates went down at the beginning of the season. We thought, okay, Dolis, Romano, maybe they're going to be the closers or audition for that role. And then we see uh, Julian Merriweather take over that role or, or kind of come out of the blue, and then he's injured. So then it's, okay, the Blue Jays don't have many bullpen guys. And then Tanner Rourke goes to the bullpen, and then Anthony Kay makes a start. And it's just, I think the injuries are really starting to catch up to them on the pitching side of it. Uh, overall, though, I think the offense was not very good. You know, as you mentioned, they they only won one game against the Royals. Oddly enough, they won two against the Yankees, which is kind of funny. They are beating the team that's supposed to be really good and then losing to the teams that are supposed to be bad. Um, but it's just, it's been a very, it's it's not been the Blue Jays that we've expected to see so far. On the positive side, I think we can look at Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I think his offense has been great. Unfortunately, unfortunately his on-base uh, streak of every single game getting on base is over now. Uh, but he's still hitting over 300. He's still mashing home runs. I think he was two in the series against the Royals. And he made a few nice plays. When we go back to uh, the New York series, uh, there was a play with Robbie Ray on the mound where there there was basically Giancarlo Stanton hit a ball to Vladdy or within his vicinity, and Guerrero had to basically run to first base. He couldn't just loop it over to Ray and get the out. So he's showing some athleticism. Uh, but I think the general consensus is that this team is just it's struggling and it's not what we've expected it to be despite some of the the uh the bright spots in in the roster yeah uh it's it was a tough week again for the injured list uh it seems that 
well, last week it actually seemed fine. And then we were all under the assumption that it was beginning to get better. And uh, that just was not the case. So over the span of the last time we recorded to now, um, let me just see here. So Teoscar Hernandez officially tested positive for COVID-19. The good news is that he is symptom-free and he is recovered. So they're just going through the protocols and he should be back soon. Julian Merriweather has gone down. Uh, Julian, uh, sorry, Julian Merriweather has gone down. Ross Stripling has gone down. Jordan Romano has gone down. Kevin Biggio is dealing with a, uh, a hand issue day to day. Uh, you know, a little bit concerning just because he wasn't playing, or he did play yesterday. He, he appeared as a pinch runner, but he didn't actually swing a bat. And they, I'm not going to lie, I'm a little bit concerned about that. And you hope that doesn't turn into an injured uh, or an, an IL stint. So a few things going on here uh, for the Jays injury wise. And um, I guess they got good news this morning with George Springer seeing or appearing that he's on, I guess, the right pathway to a return. But overall, uh, the Jays is a lot of key relievers. And I think today uh, said it all in terms of on the Sunday of the April 18th when we recorded the series finale in Kansas City and a 0-0 ball game heading into the later innings. And you bring out TJ Zoic and Tanner Roark. And I think that kind of defines what the current situation is in this bullpen. And, um, you know, just... Not a lot of options are there right now. Rafael Dolis pitched um, yesterday on the Saturday game as part of uh, in one of the doubleheader games, so he probably wasn't available today anyway. But I think today uh, summed it up in terms of what they have, I guess, for their pitching. But the offense as well continues to be a little bit of a concern. You know, overall, the past seven days, the team had an OPS below uh, 700. I think it was at 690, uh, an on-base percentage below 300, and of course, a batting average just around 240. So overall, the team's not walking. The slugging percentage is also low. I think it was at 395 over the past seven days. And it's just, it hasn't been good at all for this team. And it kind of seems to be, I guess, a similar kind of situation where we were last week. Bo Bichette's still swinging the ball, uh, the bat well. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. continues to impress. And um, there's, a, there's a bunch of other names. Randall Gritchick's a guy who's starting to cool off just a bit. And a lot of people weren't exactly too confident that his hot streak to start the year was going to last. So that doesn't surprise me one bit, unfortunately. But uh, there's, uh, there's other names here. Rowdy Telez, I guess, over the week finally got a hit, finally got a home run. So he's kind of on the board. We've seen Alejandro Kirk begin to hit a little bit. So a few guys, I guess, starting to warm up a little bit. But overall, still, just the team production-wise, it's just... It's not. It's just not acceptable right now. And you know, people like Roddy Telez are still batting below 200, and you know, numbers that are just really low right now. But you know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. sustaining an OPS over a thousand. I guess a thousand one hundred to be exact. And um, someone like Bo Bichette as well, maintaining a good uh, OPS of 820. His batting average is a little bit down from what we've seen for his career so far, I guess, in terms of an average. But overall, I'm, I'm not too surprised with any of those guys continuing to perform. But the runners in scoring position continue to be a problem as well. Um, it's, it just seems to be to start the year, it's either a home run or it's going to be nothing for this team in terms to get runs. I know we saw a little bit more yesterday in one of the doubleheaders where we saw doubles and uh, sack flies but overall it's just it hasn't been consistent uh, uh, consistent enough and of course today on the Sunday they get shut out by Kansas City to nothing so uh, I I don't know how long it'll last I'm assuming it I mean it can't be this bad for the the entire year based on we know we know the potential of this lineup uh, they're gonna get a spark soon with George Springer coming back but either way it's just it, it continues to be a frustrating team to watch offensively it's just uh, it's inconsistent, but I think the pitching continues to be there. Mark, you mentioned it right off the top. The same guys are still going. Steven Matz had another impressive start on the Saturday game uh, in the doubleheader. And someone like Hunjin Ryu, who we are expecting this from, continues to be strong. So, 
you know, some guys doing good still. And I think a lot of it remains the same uh, from the pitching wise, but they definitely aren't the problem right now. And uh, unfortunately, coming into the season, the pitching was the concern. And with Robbie Ray, if you want to reference today on the Sunday, uh, his walks are a problem again. So somebody that they need a lot of, I guess, you know, they're going to be relying on a lot heavily this year. He needs to clean up the walks. Uh, today was six walks, and his previous start was around three, maybe even more. I can't remember the exact number, but either way, he was still walking people. So that's got to be addressed. And uh, overall, though, the pitching is not the problem, and it continues to be the hitting, uh, pretty much to sum it up, to say the least. Can I just say real quick, despite all of the, the negatives about the pitching and the bullpen injuries, on the broadcast today, Pat Tabler mentioned something. The Blue Jays' bullpen ERA is actually first in baseball, and by a pretty wide margin. As of right now, it is 2.05, so that's actually really good, and especially considering they've covered a lot of innings. The second team is the New York Yankees, and they are at 2.39, so there is still a gap, but I don't know how sustainable that is. I thought I'd just mention that the pitching, as you said, Bryson, it's not the problem. It's been spotty at times, but Overall, I think it's been actually fantastic, and the bullpen has still managed. I just don't know how sustainable it is uh, going into a couple of weeks. At least they have a couple off days, uh, or actually four off days over the next two weeks. So there's a bit of time to rest, but it's definitely, it's it's still been a good aspect of this team, despite, I think, all the, the concerns and the worries. Yeah, for me, that's the, like the key thing. Like I'm not significantly worried about the offense because... Even if it is frustrating to watch, it's not sustainable. The Blue Jays are going to get better to, with time. So I'm not hitting the panic button yet. But on the flip side, I'm not saying, okay, the bullpen is totally fine yet because I think it is, again, unsustainable, small sample size, especially when you look at the fact that all these guys are injured. There's going to be increased workload on the guys at the back end of the bullpen. They're going to get worn down. They're going to falter at some point. So on either end of the spectrum, whether good or bad, I'm not reading too much into it. I think if we're talking about, I know these past few weeks, I've just been saying like, pump the brakes, it's okay, it's okay, don't panic. I think if we get to the point of the start of May, which hopefully, I, I guess the timeline now is Teoscar Hernandez, obviously back by then, he doesn't, he's not showing any COVID symptoms right now. George Springer, fingers crossed, back by the start of May. If you're looking at that sort of situation, Hernandez and Springer are back, then I think you have to start reading more into what's going on with the offense. If the offense isn't clicking at that point, like not even next week when we record, but two weeks after that, in two weeks' time, if the offense isn't clicking, that's when I'm starting to be concerned. But right now, it's still the early goings. You still have guys like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. having really one bad day, which he did today. He didn't get a hit. He still... Jacob, I still think he has his on-base streak intact. Looking at baseball reference game logs, he has had either a hit or a walk in every game this season. Um, I think it's Bo Bichette who lost his hitting streak. Um, but even that, you know, Guerrero with one bad day, he had one bad day. His batting average now is already below 300 from what it was before, like 413 or 420. So, there's a big difference there, and I, I we're still in the early goings. I'm not hitting the panic button. Two weeks from now is a point where I'm going to start reading more into these samples that we're getting. Um, that's where I stand on the Blue Jays' offensive issues right now. Frustrating to watch, but it's going to come with time. I think it will. Two more weeks. Yeah, and you know, for a team who is battling a lot of injuries to start the year, uh, I think to end off April, since we are heading into one of the final weeks of April, I think a couple more weeks here, um, I, you know, them hovering around 500 is good enough for me. 
I really do think that. And, um, you know, looking throughout the rest of the division as well, someone like the Yankees uh, continue to be a team who has struggled. And I know the Jays got uh, the better end of them at the beginning of the week, and that's kind of where all their wins came from. But, you know, I'm still fine of where they sit. Obviously, um, it's not sustainable like we've both mentioned, but it's just frustrating, right? But either way, I've always thought about a, su- a successful start or something that's fair to start the year is being 500 in May. So, I mean, sorry, by the end of April, heading into May. So I hope May is when they can kind of get healthy and that's when they can kind of begin to turn it up. And I think that's reasonable, but uh, it's all going to depend on the recovery and, of course, the performance. But hovering around 500 is still a, a, uh, an acceptable month for me. Well, they're still very injured, too, because, like, when we look at it, they're two games under 500 as of right now going into the off day, but they're missing so many key guys. So it just it makes you wonder when they get Teoscar Hernandez and George Springer and Julian Merriweather back and when guys like Kevin Biggio start to really uh, get it together, not get it together, but you know what I mean, when they start to perform better, I think this team could uh, could uh, definitely compete with I thought it was going to be the Yankees, but it maybe compete with the Red Sox for the, the top of the division. But yeah, 500 team that's injured, I don't think is necessarily the the, uh, the be-all, end-all, hit-the-panic-button type situation. Unsustainable. The Red Sox are not winning the division. <laughs> the Yankees will bounce back. The Yankees are still winning the division. But yeah, like like I think our expectations are for the Blue Jays to be like an AL East champion or even a wildcard team. Obviously, that's what we thought going into the season. And we're applying those expectations to a team that is missing like five of its star players. Like we, we can't have the same sort of expectations when they're injured. Right now, the goal for the Blue Jays is to tread water until Springer gets back. And it seems like they're doing that. Like we said, two games below 500. You got an off day. You are going into a potentially hard series against the Red Sox because they're hitting well. But I think it's okay. It's not time to panic. I mean, I don't think any of us are worried right now. I think Blue Jay fans are kind of just accepted the state of being right now as an injured team who's not going to be doing very well for the next few weeks. And that's okay. It's still April. It's still, you know, a couple weeks away from May. So we're doing fine in terms of injuries. Um, As a result of injuries going into today's game, like you said, Bryson, Tanner Rourke had to come out of the bullpen. And we knew, of course, the Blue Jays were bringing Rourke out of the bullpen, but I don't think we anticipated it coming in a 2-0 game. I think we wanted it in kind of like a, maybe like a 5-1 game as the Blue Jays were at the start of the Kansas series or, you know, even pass that a bigger run deficit for the other team because we wanted to, you know, play it safely. But coming out of the bullpen, Rourke was a pleasant surprise today. You know, he actually kind of pitched well, and I can see your face, Bryson, and you look disappointed that it turned out that way. But look, he came in, had to clean up a sticky situation from TJ Zoik, pitched 1.1 innings, didn't give up a single hit, walked one batter, struck out one, so obviously not great there, but he didn't give up a hit. That's You got to be happy with that. I think he has maybe, talking about reading too much into small sample size, but maybe is cleaning himself up a little bit. Maybe he can be better out of the bullpen. I'm hopeful. I know it's impossibly small sample size but I'm just gonna say when Tanner Rourke came into the into the game he threw six straight balls which okay not the you know that's not the reflection of his diesel truck he had to warm up yeah that's my point though it's with when you're only pitching an inning and a third or two or three innings you got to be on your game right away so I don't know I I know I said I want Tanner Rourke released but I'm not the one in charge so I'll just I'll, I'll let the managers do things and 
if I don't agree with them, then I'll criticize it. But at least today it worked out. I don't think Tanner Rourke was awful today. Uh, TJ Zoic unfortunately got into some unfortunate uh, circumstances, but Rourke was decent. And I guess if he, I know I was vocal about how I don't want him on the team, but if he's able to come back from that and be decent out of the bullpen, then I'm willing to give him a shot, I guess. I'll, I'll side with Mark a little bit on this one. Well, I, I always thought putting him in the bullpen was the right thing to do to try and get the best you can out of him. I'm not going to read too much into his performance so far out of the bullpen, but I think, you know what? I think him describing himself as a diesel truck may be like the most accurate statement ever because even his very first appearance out of the bullpen, uh, I believe he allowed a few runs right off the top. Um, so he started off slow. Yeah, it was so it was two runs. They weren't earned runs, but still, uh, this was the Thursday night game in Kansas City. Uh, it was Thursday or Friday night. No, it was the Thursday game because Friday got rained out. So Thursday night, that happened. And then of course, today when he showed up, uh, a couple, like you said, Jacob, six straight walks, or sorry, six straight balls to start his appearance. So maybe he is a diesel truck, but uh, he came out in a uh, 2 nothing game. So, uh, you know, I just don't think they have anybody else right now. I'm not going to read too much into it, but um, I'm willing to give him a shot as, uh, as a reliever, as I've said the past couple of weeks. I just don't know how much I'm going to look into this so far. But it could be worse. That's the one thing I'll say. It could be a lot worse. So I guess so far it is a it's, it is a win for them in terms of his performance as a reliever. You guys are turning me into a Tanner Rourke fan. Here I am cheering him on every <laughs> single episode. I just want him to get more time. I think we were a little bit rushed for judgment. A lot of people were. So anyways, another name in today's game that's just at the front of mind for a lot of people is Robbie Ray. We mentioned him six walks, exactly the opposite of what you want to see from it. In his first outing, he did fairly well. You know, he walked three, struck out three, but the strike zone was a little bit messed up that game, which we'll talk about later. Um, he was throwing balls around the zone. He didn't look lost, but today he kind of looked lost, right? The first two innings, the Royals load the bases, Somehow he manages to get out of it, but he runs into a couple situations later in the game. Again, six walks, and that's a big number. For a guy who led all of baseball with walks last season and was good in spring training, you want to see him shake off that rust. You want to see him have good command, and we did not see that today. How much does it hurt the Blue Jays if Tanner Rourke is who we saw today, if he really hasn't changed from 2020? How much does it hurt the Blue Jays if he doesn't have his command? In the immediate future, I think it's detrimental to them because, as we said, their rotation is so injured and so plagued by injuries. Long term, though, I still think it is detrimental because, as we've said, we expected Robbie Ray to be a cornerstone of this starting rotation. And even when you get Nate Pearson back and you start to get healthy, I think he's still somebody that stays in the rotation and could be in the playoff rotation or most likely would be in a playoff rotation. So he will need to cut down on those walks. And I'm willing to excuse it, not necessarily excuse it, but I'm willing to kind of look past it today because he was able to get out of jams, uh, two bases loaded jams. Obviously, he was able to get through those those uh, those uh, walks, but he's going to need to to cut down on those. The Blue Jays are going to need to get him to throw five innings, six innings, but quality innings. And if he's not able to do that, then the Blue Jays are in trouble considering that this is supposed to be one of the, the cornerstones of their rotation. Oh, it, it's a massive uh, blow to the rotation if this keeps up. I don't expect it to. I think it's something that it's going to be working with along the way. And someone like Pete Walker and Robbie Ray are going to work at it a lot. But so far, it, it definitely would be 
uh, a massive loss because we know the story entering the year. He was slotted at the number two spot before he was injured. And now we, when he comes back, he arguably is still number two on the depth chart. I know it's all kind of messed up in terms of the scheduling. Right now, the Jays actually have a four-man rotation. Uh, TJ Zoic came out today, and that kind of, I guess, sets up a bullpen day for Wednesday. I believe Charlie Montoya already confirmed it, unless anything happens last minute. Anthony Case um, has slotted into the rotation for the time being. And really, the only two people that have been consistently performing are Hajin Ryu and Steven Matz. So, how much more of a difference does it make if Robbie Ray shows up and pitches at, a, at a, I guess, an elite level, or at best, or even just at a good level, a solid level, where he's not walking guys and still not allowing runs? I know today, you know, he didn't allow any runs today, but we all know that if that were to happen again, likely eight to nine times out of 10, it would have gone a different way. We were, or he was tremendously lucky to allow nothing and walking six guys in five innings. That is a concern for the long term, And I do think it's something they can fix. But if he's not there and performing as we are hoping him to be or expecting him to be, it's a massive loss to the rotation for sure. Nate Pearson is expected to come back. And I guess that sets up a fifth man. Ross Stripling's going to come back. And you really don't know what you're going to, you know, Ross Stripling, you know what you're going to get. You're not going to get the greatest numbers. You're not going to get the worst numbers. And Nate Pearson's uh, just a question mark right now in terms of his workload, I guess his recovery. And that's why this team is definitely going to be depending on Robbie Ray. I know Steven Matz has definitely, I guess, um, come up and accepted the challenge and kind of been that guy as well with Hanjin Ryu, which is good. But who knows how sustainable that is with Steven Matz. I think the only guy we're really expecting this to kind of sustain with is Hanjin Ryu. So... Of course, it's a massive difference maker in terms of what they have right now. And, um, you know, with Robbie Ray, it's just a little bit concerning today. But uh, I guess we're going to give him a pass because he ended up not allowing a run, as we said. So they do need him to wake up, though. And I, I really do hope the walk rate can go down because I believe in his last start as well, he, he walked around three people. So, I mean, yeah, so that's it is because he's, has, he's had nine walks in two starts uh, combined. So... Yeah, that that says enough, and his whip's at 160. So his whip's also uh, pretty high as much as his ERA is down, and um, that is why it's just you don't really know how you feel about Robbie Ray, but he is definitely a massive, uh, I guess, difference maker in this rotation. We've been saying it all winter, so that's why they the Jays need him to uh, you know lower the walks and lower the whip and be that solid maybe number two starter in this rotation. Yeah, he was looking like Harry Houdini today. And that's not going to happen every day. You can't get away with that. If it does, his FIP is going to be insane. His whip is going to be insane. Um, he can't get away with that long term. And I, I think you're right that it's not going to happen long term. I think part of it is the rust. He had a long layoff after being on the injured list. It'll be fine long term, but fingers crossed. I think the most disappointing thing, in addition to everything that you guys said for me, was just that I was getting really excited with what we were seeing from Steven Matz. Because, you know, our picture of the starting pitching of the rotation for so long was that Ryu's going to be solid. Robbie Ray isn't going to be an ace by any means, but he's going to be solid number two. And then, you know, the rest of the three spots are just a black hole. So I got to thinking about Steven Matz, and he's coming back. He's, you know, putting up Cy Young numbers, basically, in his first three starts. You get a guy like that, plus Robbie Ray... All of a sudden, the rotation is looking really, really good. So I was getting my hopes up. And then, of course, Ray came out today and had a disappointing outing. So that's what I'm focusing on right now. Just a little bit disappointed by that. But let's turn to Steven Matz because I think we're all pretty calm on Robbie Ray. Hopefully, he gets back with time. But Matz, 
has been insane. We mentioned it a little bit last week because we had the start against the Rangers in his season debut that we saw, which was impeccable. Nine strikeouts, one walk um, over 6.1 innings. Exactly the type of outing you want to see from Steven Matz. And then he came out game two, six innings, one run against the Angels, which we know they have a potent lineup. He That was in the game that the Blue Jays won 15-1. to one. And then um, against the Kansas City Royals, another 5-1 win for the Blue Jays. Six innings, one run, two walks, five strikeouts. 82 pitches to do that compared to 90 pitches, which is what he needed for six innings the outing before. So absolutely impeccable from Steven Matz. Um, if Robbie Ray is who he was today for the rest of the season, at least the Blue Jays have Steven Matz in there. Of course, Matz is going to regress to, I, I would say, a little bit above league average are my expectations for him now. I'm not thinking that these two starts are the rest of his season for him. I think he's going to regress to the mean. But at the very least, the Blue Jays have one guy in there who appears to be absolutely impeccable along with Hyunjin Ryu. Yeah, he's been a very, very pleasant surprise. And he has pitched 18 and a third's innings, so a little bit more than two full games. So I think we can maybe get a bit of an idea for what he's able to do, at least in the early parts of the season, a 147 ERA and an eight and a 0.82 whip. So he's been really good and also 18 strikeouts. So about a strikeout per inning and the Blue Jays have won every time he's pitched. Same thing, I I believe with Ryu. So Ryu and Mats have been absolutely fantastic for the Blue Jays, but focusing on Mats, I think I was very, very nervous to welcome him to the starting rotation. Obviously I hoped he did well, but saying, you know, we didn't get uh, Taiwan Walker in the in the offseason. We're getting Steven Matz. I was like, okay, well, we're going to need to see something out of him. And so far, what we've seen is a is a fantastic pitcher. And I think you, you just put it perfectly, Mark. If Robbie Ray is struggling or is not the Robbie Ray we expected or that we saw in spring training, at least Steven Matz is there to kind of take away a bit of the damage. And especially with a rotation that's just absolutely destroyed with injuries, He's been a bright spot. Uh, funny thing, little tidbit just to end this. I think the Blue Jays, uh, this won't ever happen. Perhaps the Blue Jays go with four lefties in a five-man rotation. They take Ryu, Mats, Ray, Anthony Kay, and then maybe Nate Pearson. I think that would be kind of funny. It's not going to happen at all, but Steven Matz has proved that he deserves to stay in this rotation, and he's proving to be everything that we've wanted him to be. He's he's absolutely fantastic, and I'm very pleasantly surprised with what he's done so far. I'm just going to say it because no one said it yet. Uh, going back to his start yesterday in game one of the doubleheader, he should have pitched the entire game. Uh, I'm going to say it right there. It was a shaky appearance from Rafael Dolis. I know the Jays still managed to win. I still would have liked to see Steven Matz complete the game. And I know he was close to a, I guess, well, the rule is in a doubleheader, it doesn't count as a no-hitter. But it was still impressive that he went, you know, that long without giving up a hit. So yeah, five innings without a hit. Yeah. And I would have, he sh- I'm just going to say it, he should have finished that game. And um, yeah, you know what, with Steven Matz, it's just, he's been remarkable. Because we know that 
he has something there because going back to his days with the Mets, 2015 and 2016 were his best years, especially 2015. He had an ERA, or actually, no, that was only six starts, never mind. Going to the next year, 2016, a 340 ERA, and that's pretty good in rotation with Jacob deGrom, Noah Syndergaard. He was good near the back end of that rotation. So I, we've seen it from Steven Matz before, but to start it off this year, this is definitely one of the best starts he's ever gotten off to. Maybe a change of scenery was what he needed, but either way, he looks comfortable. He's uh, commanding the strike zone, and he's striking people out. The strikeout rates are definitely going... Uh, it's definitely very high right now. Right now, it's at 8.8 strikeouts for, uh, per nine, and that's pretty impressive right now. And that's definitely one of the highest he's had uh, for his career in terms of starts and seasons. So that Steven Matz somebody that... Uh, I think you were right. Whoever said it, one of you two said it, obviously. If Robbie Ray can't perform and relying on Steven Matz, if Steven Matz can kind of step up, I think that's a kind of a good, I guess, backup plan. Not even just because it's good to have because you don't know what's going on with Robbie Ray right now. We know he had a good spring. He had the incident with his uh, child where he dropped him, but luckily he uh, was he was okay. And since coming back, unfortunately, he just the walks have been up, even though his ERA is low. And it's just a lot of uncertainty there. So there's high numbers there, low numbers there. Uh, Robbie Ray's FIP, before entering today's start, I just want to mention it to you guys, is 636. That was before his start today. So you can imagine it's probably going to be around 8 or 9. And someone like Steven Matz, his FIP is at 305. That's still good, and um, either way, I'll take it. I think we would all take it, Stephen Matz, so far, to open the years 3-0. and So good for him so far, and I'm pretty happy to see it because we kind of – Stephen Matz was somebody that kind of – like I guess we we heard about him at some points during the offseason. I feel like we had a an episode where he we kind of quickly mentioned him at the end, saying he was one of the targets that the Jays were reportedly interested in. As much as that was like pretty much out of everyone available, they actually ended up trading for Steven Matz right before the spring, and a lot of people weren't happy. They that's the, that's the truth, and they wanted Taiwan Walker to come back. They wanted them to re-sign this guy or sign this guy, Jake Odorizzi, and they managed to get Steven Matz. And so far, Steven Matz has come in. And he's pretty much shut up all Blue Jays fans who are hating on the pitching. So I think that's a safe way to put it. And it's good because you want that to happen and you want him to be a key part of this team. And if Robbie Ray figures it out, that's a pretty solid 1-2-3 in terms of performance so far with Steven Matz continuing to pitch well. You have Nate Pearson on his way back as well. There is potential for this rotation to be better than what people think. How sustainable is it from Steven Matz? Nobody really knows. Uh, I, I assume a drop-off. Mark, you went over it. Probably going to happen, but it, he can still be a solid pitcher in this rotation. Yeah, and just coming back to what you said at the beginning, that Steven Matz should have pitched the entire game. He 100% should have. I was rooting for a complete game, kind you know, seven innings complete game. It would have been the Blue Jays' first complete game since May 18th, I think it was, of 2019 which doesn't really count either because it was a rained out game after five innings. The Blue Jays pitcher only pitched four innings. It was Ryan Firebend or something. It was a name I completely... Fairbend. I remember Fire, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I completely forgot he ever pitched for the Blue Jays. I looked up the last shutout or days. last complete game. Yeah, <laughs> The last complete game the Blue Jays had, and I totally blanked. I could not remember who this guy was, so... Anyways, just a little tidbit there. But yes, he should have pitched a complete game because 
It's a doubleheader. The Blue Jays know they're going to be relying on their bullpen in Game 2. A, Tommy Malone's not going to be in the bullpen because he's starting that. And in Game 2, they bring out Anthony Castro, Ryan Brucky, Trent Thornton, Joel Payamp. So that's basically five guys, if you include Malone, coming out of the bullpen and putting a huge stress on the bullpen for today's game when you look and no one's available and you have to go with TJ Zoik and Tanner Rourke instead of an actual reliever after five innings of Ray. So, yes, he should have gone a full game. Am I surprised that he took him out? Not at all. I mean, we know we expect this from Charlie Montoyo, but look, he was at 82 pitches. Yes, he was getting into a little bit of trouble with the guys coming up, but he should have finished that game to, at the very least, preserve the bullpen, keep Rafael Dolis available for either game two that day or today's game. Well, see, with Dolis, the one thing that I... It, it never really clicked with me is the Blue Jays were leading that game and it was not a safe situation. So why do you put your closer in? Yeah. So it, it wasn't like they needed Dolis to close it out. It, Steven Matz wasn't even at a super high pitch count. And I, I'll be completely honest. I did end up missing the second game of the doubleheader, And I got a notification saying that Sal Perez hit that home run. And I was like, okay, they've got two innings to, to come back from it. And then I get another one saying, oh, they've, they've lost. I, I had to, do a double check there but the point is is I don't know why Rafael Delis the closer was not used in a more close game because let's be I mean okay there's no guarantee the Blue Jays were going to win the first game but it wasn't a safe situation worst case you put Delis in if it's if it becomes a safe situation or you go to somebody else uh, I just thought I'd mention that I it just it it never really uh, made sense to me why you put your closer in even if he's not been uh, at the absolute top of his game. I think you still pre- preserve him for a, a safe situation. And, and that is when at like probably the worst possible time for this bullpen with, with the injuries, we know the injuries it's, it's thin already probably wasn't the smartest idea to use Dolis like that because he's right now is your closer, I guess. So, you know, maybe try that next time when people like Tyler Chatwood, Merriweather, Romano and hatch, or, and even maybe Stripling are back in the bullpen. So the, those are kind of a quick rapid fire there. But, you know, just I didn't like the t- bad timing. Bad timing. But, yes, Mark, you were right. Why would we be surprised? It's just the way the Jays think. And it's one of the, I guess, question marks around Charlie Montoyo's managerial style. There you go. Yeah. And just to get it on the record, I don't blame Montoyo. As mad as I may be sometimes, Adam, I don't blame him. I blame management <laughs> for this approach. But anyways, Jacob, you mentioned the seven-inning rule. Of course, we're not strangers to it because it happened last year, but that's the one rule, I, in, along with the runner on second base, the two rules that have been instituted that I hate. I just don't like them at all. Um, the seven-inning one, especially because that's not what baseball is. But a new change that may be coming to baseball that has, you know, we've always been talking about this. It's always been something people have had on their minds but the electronic strike zone the robot umpires as they're called we've seen a lot of horrendous calls not just at home plate not just with the strike zone but all around baseball all around the infield the outfield in terms of replay review but especially the strike zone has been especially horrendous for a lot of teams for a lot of umpires and for a lot of pitchers so far this season. We've seen it with the Blue Jays on multiple occasions. There was a pitch Steven Matz threw practically right down the heart of the plate that was called a ball. John Boy did a uh, breakdown of it. It was hilarious, but very frustrating if you're a Blue Jay fan watching that and seeing a perfect strike being called a ball. 
where do you stand on robot umpires on electronic strike zones? I'm just going to say this before I say where I stand on this. The umpiring has been atrocious this season. With that being said, somebody brought up a very convincing argument for robot umpires. And I have been somebody that's kind of been against it previously. But this argument was actually very convincing. So I was watching Tim and Friends, which is on Sportsnet, uh, every we- every weekday at like 5 p.m. And they were they were discussing this. And so the argument was... If you have a robot umpire, you can code in what is a strike and what is a ball, and you can work in those borderline pitches. And what they mentioned, this was the key thing, was that once you do that, pitchers are forced to throw exactly in the strike zone. They can't try and get a pitch that's technically out of the zone but called a strike. And when you do that, you give hitters more of a chance to actually hit. And they're doing that because they're laying off of the what they called human error pitches, meaning a pitch that was technically a couple inches too high, it's not a strike anymore, so a hitter doesn't need to say, oh, that was called a strike last time, therefore I need to swing at it this time. And so I thought that was interesting because I think you guys would agree with this. The best way to call a game is to have a consistent strike zone. We've seen it all throughout Major League Baseball where sometimes a guy will have a strike zone that's a little bit smaller you know, it's not as wide or it's not as tall as what it should be or what some other guys would call a ball and a strike. But as long as it's consistent, you can say, well, that pitch was called a strike last time in that location. Therefore, I really should swing at it. And if you don't swing at it, then I don't know. You just weren't paying attention to the game. But this argument, I think, was convincing. I, I still don't know if I necessarily want human umpires, I think, or robot umpires, rather. But I I do think that this was a legitimate convincing argument to say, okay, well, that does make sense. Why would you, why would you force hitters to constantly be saying, okay, should I swing at that? Because that was called a ball last time, or that was called a strike last time. And I don't know. And I think that is, that is interesting. And also it said that this might also make the games more entertaining because when you're forced to throw strikes and you can't get those uh, so-called pitchers pitches you, know, you can't get a, a ball out of the strike zone to get a guy to swing you're going to have more hits because you're obviously throwing in the in the hitting area I think it's interesting uh, again I'm ve- I'll say this I'm very torn on whether I think human umpires should be replaced with robots I think the best option is to fix the human umpires because there have been horrendous calls and we saw this all throughout the New York series and all throughout Major League Baseball really but this argument really opened my eyes to say, okay, yeah, well, obviously Major League Baseball, if they're going to implement something as serious as this, they're going to theoretically figure everything out before it's implemented in the game. So by doing that, you prevent, as they said, those human error pitches. And now you're able to say, okay, these are strikes, pitch it here, or you're not getting the strike call. So that's kind of where I am. I'm very torn at this point. I'm with you. I'm torn. I see both sides of the argument because I know there are people that don't exactly want robot umpires and um, it is a compelling argument and I think the right way for the game to be played or I, I should say the the best way is to get the plays right but uh, you know Jacob you're talking about the human error correcting the human error but when you correct the human error you take out the human element you know you there goes any like sort of human element with any umpires you know some people enjoy the entertainment of getting to yell at an umpire, it just kind of, I guess, enhances experience for some people and it's entertaining at some points. 
you know, you can't, you're not going to, you're not going to yell at a computer. I mean, you can, I mean, you can, but it's not going to, it's just like, you know, it's not a human. So I see both sides. I'm torn on both, but I think I've come to terms where I'm pretty sure most baseball fans have is I'm getting, I guess, warming up to the idea that it's happened, like it's coming. And I think it's inevitable that it's going to be coming within the next few years. And it's something that I'm prepared to adapt to. I'm not necessarily saying I want it because I do like the human element of the game. I do I do agree with video replay though. I think it, it I guess it relates to uh, robot umpires because you want to get the call right. I just think that you're taking away I mean part of the argument is you're taking away that human element and that is why not everyone agrees with it. A lot of people, you know, there's old school fans, there's new school fans, there's people that like thinking old school, there's people that like advanced metrics, some people don't. It's very divided as it stands with stats and that's why it's something that never, no one will ever agree on, but it should. the game should be called the correct way. We've gone over so many scenarios where what if the Jays miss, let's just say in September, the Jays miss out of a wildcard spot by one game because of a bad call or something like that, right? You want to get the call right, and I think that's um, why I've warmed up to the idea, but I'm not necessarily saying I'm fully on board with it because the human element is, I guess, you know, it's part of the game, right? And you're taking away part of it and um you know i guess you are changing the game though like you said jacob or like the argument you were watching on tim and friends is where that kind of changes the pitcher's approach to actually more target more of the strike zone intentionally rather than just borderline even though i think that you know i i agree with that and i do think that may lead to more offense as well i'm not saying people want that but well it's true because it's divided so that's why i'm i'm kind of keen towards either way but i can see both points I can see why people want to get the call right and have a robot strike zone. And I can also see why people want to keep the human element in and keep an umpire. Yeah, it's tough. There's compelling arguments on all sides. I have to say, I think I used to be on the the live umpire, the real umpire calling balls and strikes train in that camp until this season. Because I don't know if it's just people are paying more attention to it or the calls are actually worse, but there have been some horrible, horrible calls all around baseball. It's not something unique to the Blue Jays. It's not something unique to any, like I said, pitchers or catchers or hitters. This is something we're seeing all across baseball. And, you know, there's a couple of great accounts on Twitter. There's a umpire auditor and there's ump scorecards. Ump scorecards put together a release after every game of how consistent a strike zone was, how accurate a strike zone was. It's great resources, but you can tell there's a lot of problems this season with what umpires are calling, and that has put me on the other camp in saying we need robot umpires. I I just can't stand it. I, I can't stand those calls. And, like, yeah, it's fine, whatever. It's third inning. You call one strike badly, and then the game goes on. It's not a big deal. But it is kind of that what if. What if the Blue Jays are in a situation like they find themselves in, I think, on Thursday against the Royals? Vladdy's hitting it's the end of the game right and and they call a horrible strike call and that takes them out of the at-bat basically that ends the game for the Blue Jays when they clearly had a chance to score what if you're the Blue Jays in 2015 in game six of the American League Championship Series against the Royals seems like it's always against the Royals but Ben Revere getting those horrible strike calls takes a you know, huge opportunity for the Blue Jays away. He goes into the dugout. He demolishes that Kool-Aid cooler, as we all know. But, like, like that's the thing. I, I'm not bothered by the calls in the third inning of, 
game 89 in the dog days of summer against, I don't know, the, the Texas Rangers. Like, those aren't the calls that bother me. It's the calls that come at the opportune times that could cost the Blue Jays and other teams opportunities. So that's why I'm squarely in the camp of, yes, we need electronic strike zones. The one thing I'm hesitant about is what it means for other things in the game. Like, it's not just putting an electronic strike zone in a vacuum. Like you said, Bryson, there are human elements that it does take away. It takes away a pitcher nibbling at the edges, perhaps. It takes away pitch framing to an extent. Like, that's something that I think is going to be fought heavily by the Players Association because it takes away a lot of the values of these defensive catchers. Like, Danny Jansen is going to be worth nowhere near the same amount to the Blue Jays if you put in an electronic strike zone. Like, his offense obviously isn't there. If you take away pitch framing, what does he got? Like, he prevents a pass ball every once in a while or a wild pitch every once in a while. I don't know if that's worth it to keep it behind the plate. So you're going to see real changes if it is instituted in baseball. And that's the one thing where I'm on the fence because pitch framing is all, all, of course, something that's fun to watch. It's something that's important for a lot of players and pitchers. Um, It's that part that I'm a little sad about. But again, the cost of making these stupid, horrible calls all the time, it really gets to you. So that's where I stand on it. I feel like one of the things that might also happen is we might see maybe this is being a little overdramatic, but we might see the end of the breaking ball because what happens when you leave a curveball or a slider hanging in the strike zone? Someone, you're, you're probably getting taken deep. And what do you do then? Do you just throw fastballs? you throw change-ups? Because if you leave those pitches that are supposed to break out of the strike zone in the strike zone, people are going to hit them. And that, I think, is a lot of pitchers. Hunjin Ryu, you're going to see a lot of pitchers that live off of 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 that type of pitching style really try to fight that and say well hey that's my whole bread and butter you know I try to make a pitch look like a strike and then it dips out of the strike zone and, and I still I don't think that necessarily people or hitters would not strike or not swing at those like it, obviously if if a curveball looks like a strike and then dips down it's out of the strike zone by the end of the the uh, by the end of or when it reaches the the home plate somebody's probably going to swing. But again, that's still going to take away a lot of the strategy involved. And then what do you do? Do you just overthrow your pitch? I, I don't know. I think that will definitely be a weird thing for a lot of pitchers that don't necessarily just try to blow the ball past guys. I don't know how likely that is. I don't know how... Like, I don't think you're getting a lot of calls on breaking balls that are, like, you know, dipping below the strike zone. I don't think you're getting a lot of those calls from the umpires. I think it's more, like you said, like people swinging at it. So... But of course, it is going to change how pitchers approach the game. And like I said, how catchers approach the game. So that's the thing where I, I kind of don't want to rock the boat there. And that's why I'm maybe not as solid in this position as I would be in other positions. But I'm still leaning towards, yes, electronic strike zone. When do you guys like think this is coming? Like, is this going to be part of the new CBA? Like, like how far down the road? I know we always... Because everyone brings it up every year, but nobody seems to know exactly when it's coming. So, like, when do you guys think this could come as early as? I, I don't know. I, it will probably be talked about with the CBA. I don't think that yeah. that it'll be left out. I'm not sure though. I think realistically, even if it is talked about, I don't know if it's likely for 2022 because that's something that's probably ridiculously complicated to code. And you know, I. Not not to flex, but I, I took a grade 11 coding class, and it is extremely difficult, <laughs> so I, I can well, imagine... I don't know. I don't think it's that hard. Like, you already have the pitch tracks. You already have 
I don't know the specific whether it's TrackMan, whether it's Statcast. Like you already have the technology that mm-hmm. you know where strikes are going. Exit Velo. I yeah, you have. I don't think it's that hard. You just like what I I'm envisioning like an umpire with like an Apple Watch basically that just says like strike a ball. Yeah. Like I don't think it's that hard. <laughs> oh, well, that's not what I would. I don't know why, but I know I, the like I know there'll be glitches mm-hmm. along the way. I think that's, I think, what will take the hardest. I think that'll be the most difficult thing because the way I see it, and this is kind of the way I envisioned it, when you look at, you know, the Blue Jays, when they, when you watch the broadcast, they kind of have like an outline of the strike zone. I kind of envisioned maybe a couple cameras uh, throughout the field, uh, almost detecting where the ball goes. I don't know. Maybe I was completely wrong in that, but I kind of feel like that was what they would do. Uh, because when you say robot umpires, I kind of thought there would be nobody behind the plate, but I guess I didn't think hard enough about that. But yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's just, it's something that might not be initially difficult to code, but when you try to uh, fix all of the glitches and, and, and really work through it, I think that might take a bit of time. So if I had to guess maybe 2023 at the earliest. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, I think it's down the road. Like, I think they're working out hitches, obviously, in one of the minor leagues they're testing it out it's it's down the road and i think yeah like we saw the pitch clock come in in the minors and then a couple years later it comes into the majors that's why i think it's down the road a little bit run around second base exactly i i think the priority this cba i don't think it's happening this cba because there are other rules that are at the front of mind whether it's the hitter the dh in the national league whether it's permanently keeping the seven inning doubleheader rule the runner on second in the 10th inning and later whether it's permanently keeping those I think that's going to be the focus of the negotiation and we're not going to be seeing huge changes um, besides those rules I think it's down the road a little bit two three four years maybe even five years to the next CBA yeah there's a uh, there's a lot to that's gonna have to be addressed this winter and you know we've I've talked about it last year during the pause it's it's a little concerning of what lies ahead this winter so one more great season to get under our belts and uh i'm not i'm not too excited for this winter so that i just hope you know they can play a full season next year as well and sort that thing out the playoff format something that's also gonna have to be addressed but um yeah it's just you know the the two sides don't seem to be on the best terms as of now but hopefully they can figure it out and the last thing on electronic strike zones I know, Bryson, you mentioned different generations of baseball fans, classic baseball fans, traditional fans versus modern fans, sabermetrics, all that kind of thing. I will say that I think the spectrum on who supports electronic strike zones kind of spans all those types of fans. I know my grandfather loves baseball. He has been calling for a electronic strike phone for years and years and years and he is he is lifelong from the 1930s 1940s so he's a traditional fan but he wants an electronic strike zone and i know there are people who like you know sabermetrics modern stats they're into analytics and stuff like that and they don't want it so it's kind of a, a very divided grab yeah. bag of yeah very divided about who wants it and who doesn't but It'll be interesting to see in the future of baseball what we get. Um, Okay, last, I guess, two things to mention before we wrap it up. Um, We did mention Rowdy Telez a little bit, but I just wanted to give him a shout out. You know, obviously, 0 for 21 to start the season. Very, very rough, but he is going now. He's hitting well. He's almost up to 200, I think. Still below the Mendoza line, I guess, there, but 
almost there, so that's obviously a positive. And then Vladdy, of course, he keeps hitting. Um, crazy, crazy, crazy stats. 15-game on-base streak going back to the start of the season. Um, it's just crazy what this kid is doing. It's very encouraging for the Blue Jays. As soon as the rest of the offense gets going, I swear to you, within two weeks, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch this team. Um, but okay, we will wrap it up there. We're looking forward to what this team has in store for us over the next few weeks. But until then, you can rate and review our podcast on iTunes. Um, you can also find it on Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen. You can support our Patreon at patreon.com slash section138pod. Um, as you learned last week, this week's episode is also going to be on YouTube. You can subscribe to us on YouTube at section 138 a Toronto Blue Jays podcast. We also have some other content going up there. We've got live streams. We've got um, segments from our podcast. We've got previous episodes that we've done, including our interview with Dan Schulman. That's recorded in video that you can watch there. Um, in terms of live streams, you can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Section138Pod to stay up to date with when we're doing them. And sometimes we do do them on Instagram, so you can watch them there as well. I think that's everything. Lots of stuff going on for us, but thank you to everyone who listened. We're excited to see whether the Blue Jays can get the offense going over the next week before we record again. But until then, stay safe, and we'll catch you next week. If you travel it in the North Country Fair Where the winds hit heavy on the borderline True love of mine